in your bulletin or you can listen as well. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I'll pray for Robin. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened as we hear your message, Lord, uh, through Robin today. Pray that you would um, use this message, use this time to um, just expose our sin in our own life and to help us to spur one another on and to encourage and to love one another. So pray for Robin, give him clarity um, to proclaim your word and pray for your spirit to be active in our own hearts and minds uh, to receive that and to apply it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So some people are naturally hopeful and encouraging. That's just their personality. They're the positive, sunny folks you want to be around all the time. They're the folks that you invite to a party so that you don't have to keep every the party entertained because they'll do it for you, right? The... Others are more pessimistic about things. You know, the types who struggle to see the positive side of anything. Um, How many people here have read the Narnian Chronicles by C.S. Lewis? Oh, wonderful. Okay. So um, there's a character in the silver chair by the name of Puddleglum. He's a perennial pessimist. And a colleague of mine once nicknamed me Puddleglum. And the name stuck so well that the passage from the silver chair was read at our wedding reception. I think I'm a little more positive in outlook now. I think that's, you know, mark of God's grace in my life. Um, But today we want to look at uh, our next one another passage. We're looking at the one another, some of the one another's, not all of them, some of the one another's in the New Testament. And today's one another is from Hebrews um, 10, 24 and 25. Encourage one another. And we'll get to those verses eventually. Uh, but first I want to look at the rest of the passage. Has, well, the rest of the passage has to say about the ground for our encouragement, about why it is that we can encourage one another. And for that, we need to start at the beginning. So Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So, This passage starts with therefore. And as a Bible teacher 
taught, I heard a Bible teach, teacher teach a long time ago, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it's a good idea to ask, was this therefore? Um, and that usually means going back and seeing what came before. But here, the writer actually says, therefore, since. And he goes on to summarize what went on before. And that's what he's basing his argument on. He says, we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. So the bulk of the book of Hebrews has been about how much better Jesus is than anything that went before. He's better than the angels because he's the son of God. He's better than Moses because he brings a better covenant. He's a better high priest because he's perfect and sinless and goes before, <clears throat> goes before his father in heaven, not into an earthly temple. And here in verse 19, we have the first reason why we can be encouraged. Because we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Not because of anything we've done. But because Jesus has shed his blood to give us access to God. Now in the Old Testament, the high priest went into God's presence once a year. And he did that with fear and trembling. We, on the other hand, can enter into God's presence at any time because of Jesus' sacrifice. So what we're doing this morning is entering into God's presence because of Jesus' sacrifice. And not only that, we can enter into his presence confidently, knowing that he will welcome us. That's because he's made us his sons and daughters. We can enter his presence as children because we belong here. Now, many names in this area of the world begin with Abd. Abdullah, Abdurrahman, Abdulaziz, Abdul Wahid. Um, the Abd at the beginning is the Arabic word for slave. And the bit after it is usually one of the 99 beautiful names of God found in the Quran. So at one level, all of those names, when you hear them, they all mean the same thing. They mean the slave of God. So we just talked last week about how Paul repurposes that word slave to talk about our relationships with one another, that we should serve one another. He actually says we should be each other's slaves. We should serve one another in that way. And in fact, you know, Paul's favorite description of himself was Dulus Christu, which is God's slave. So this might actually be a good opportunity to talk about the limits of metaphors in Scripture. Last week, I fo focused on the metaphor of being a slave, the one who serves God and serves our neighbor. This morning, I'm doing the opposite. I'm focusing, focusing on being a son and a, and a daughter. Both metaphors are true, but they're true in different ways. So it's not like being a son or a daughter excuses you from being a slave to your brothers and sisters and to the Lord. It's not like being one who serves the Lord and serves your brothers and sisters stops you from being a son and a daughter. Metaphors are limited in what they're trying to express. But in this context, we're talking about, the writer to Hebrews is talking about the difference between a slave and a child of God. And a slave, in, in this context, doesn't have con confidence to come into the presence of his or her master unless the master summons them for a task. But Hebrews says 
that because of Jesus, because he's redeemed us with his blood and made us sons and daughters, we can go into the presence of our Father at any time with confidence. So this is the first reason that we can be encouraged. What Jesus has done for us and our new relationship with God because we have access to God. But that's not all. Not only do we have access to God, we have an advocate before God. Jesus didn't only die on the cross for our sins. He rose again and lives today in his Father's presence as a great high priest who cares about our situation and intercedes on our behalf. That's the second since in this passage. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So the high priest had a number of functions in the Old Testament. He had to take the concerns of the people before God in prayer and ask God's direction. He was responsible to keep the people pure in God's sight by carrying out various rituals of cleansing. And he was responsible to assure the people of God's acceptance and forgiveness when they repented of sin. So the writer isn't just saying that Jesus is taking care of our past through his death on the cross and making us now sons and daughters of the Father. He's saying that Jesus also takes care of our present. As our high priest, he intercedes for us, bringing our concerns before the Father. As our high priest, he's the one who's constantly at work to purify us. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, he is at work to make her, the church holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As our high priest, he's the one who speaks to our hearts and assures us of his forgiveness and acceptance when we repent of our sins. You sometimes get the impression from some people that becoming a Christian is all about a one-time decision. The focus is on the time when we walked down the aisle, gave our hearts to Jesus, pinned our sins to the cross at the campfire the last night of a camp or whatever. That's only the beginning. Jesus wants us to walk with him on a daily basis as he walk, watches over our lives and guides us as, his great, as our great high priest. So this is the basis of any encouragement we might have. It isn't our personality. It isn't our situation. It's what Jesus has done for us and who he is for us today. So what do we do about that? What is our response? The text says, Therefore, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because we have access to God, it means that we now have this new relationship, this fellowship with God. We can enter into his presence because we know he's washed us clean. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this new relationship where before God was far off, we now have access to him. Where before, the only way to access God, to approach God, was in fear and trembling once a year. Now we can approach him in full assurance that he's washed our hearts clean from sin by his blood. It's that new relationship that now allows us to come and worship. We can approach in full assurance of faith, knowing he's done it all, 
and trusting his grace towards us. So what do we do with that new relationship? If you and I were in conflict in, with one another and someone came and mediated the conflict so things were set right again, we still have a couple of options, right? We can each go our separate ways, no longer in conflict, but also not really in fellowship, not really sharing our lives. Or we can spend time together rejoicing in our new relationship. And that's what God, has, that's what God wants from us, that we don't just look at our restored relationship with him as something legal. He's taking away our guilt. He wants to have real fellowship with us, spending time together in worship, prayer, sharing our lives with him. Then there's a second let us. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, has, for he who has promised and faithful. So not only do we have access to God, an advocate before God, and fellowship with God, something we should take advantage of in prayer and worship, we also have this ongoing hope that sustains us through the ups and downs of life. In Hebrews 6, a writer says, We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This is a wonderful picture, particularly if you're a sailor. This is a wonderful picture. Our hope is anchored in the very presence of God. The, the writer speaks about it entering into inner sanctuary behind the curtain. In other words, you can't see what it's anchored to. That's exactly what happens when you anchor a boat. You drop the anchor and it disappears into the depths where hopefully it embeds itself in the bottom. Vic is grinning at me here because he's a sailor too. Uh, hopefully it embeds itself in the bottom and it holds the boat in one place even as storms rage around it. And one of the, one of the interesting things about anchoring is it's not enough to just drop the anchor. You actually have to put some pressure on it. You actually have to you know, believe it's going to dig in. So it actually is called setting your anchor. And in the same way, it's not enough just to believe that we have hope in Jesus. We actually have to put some weight on that. So it digs in and you set your anchor within the veil. You can't see the anchor. Well, actually, around here, you might be able to see the anchor because the water is so clear. But generally speaking, you can't, you can't see the anchor. Um, but it's what holds the boat steady. And our hope, our hope is also in something or rather someone unseen. And like the anchor on a boat, it's what holds us steady in difficult times. We're told to hold fast to that hope. That hope is based in the resurrection of Jesus. He's alive and interceding for us, upholding us, enabling us to live for him. So we have two senses and two lettuces. Not lettuces, two lettuces. <laughs> um, since Jesus has made a way for us to have access to the Father, let us then take advantage of the access in worship and prayer. And since we have a high priest who lives and faithfully intercedes for us, 
let us be hopeful about today and the future. That leaves one let us let over, left over. I realize now that I sound like I'm talking about a salad. Anyway. <laughs> and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this isn't about the result of Jesus' ministry to us and making a way for us to have access to God. Nor is it about the result of Jesus' ministry to us in sustaining us in hope day to day. In fact, this isn't about Jesus' ministry at all. It's about our ministry to one another. About our life together in the body of Christ. So keeping in mind what we said about the basis for our encouragement in, in Jesus, let's look at the things that we're told to do in this passage. We're told to consider, provoke, meet, and encourage. It says, let us consider. The word consider means to fix the mind upon. That means we have to think about how we're going to act, what we're going to do in our ministry to one another. Ministry doesn't just happen. People have to think and pray about what needs to be done and how they're going to do it and who they're going to involve in getting that done, right? There has to be an intention here. We aren't just to assume that we'll grow in the Lord or that fellowship will happen. We're to think about what we must do to make it happen. Now, some Christians are very suspicious of planning. Um, they think it's unspiritual. But we're here we're told to plan, to consider how we can carry out the ministry that God's called us to. So last night, there was a wonderful gathering of Christians from around the city. Those of us who were there, it was, it was amazing. It was a great evening. That didn't just happen. Didn't spontaneously happen. Um, God put it on Samuel's heart. But even that wasn't enough to make it happen. You know, Samuel had to, to, for one thing, hear and obey what God put on his heart. Then he had to make plans. He had to talk to people, arrange a time and place, enroll other people to help with logistics. And without that, it would never have happened. It's important to consider to think about what we can do to help each other grow in the faith. It's the responsibility that we have to one another and to the community of faith. It's the task that all of us, for all of us to be thinking about how we, can, how we can minister to one another. So we're to consider, we're to consider how to provoke one another. Some translations say stir up one another. Now, some of us are really talented at provoking one another. Jim, where are you? <laughs> I have a sister, uh, and when we were growing up together, we were very good at provoking one another. Um, the same with our own kids from when they were young. That's not the kind of provoking that Hebrews is talking about here, okay? Um, it isn't talking about provoking one another to you know, anger or anything like that. It's about provoking one another to love and good deeds. You could translate verse 24 as, we should consider ourselves in competition in love and good deeds. So the idea is of a good-natured contest with no one keeping score. When we meet with our brothers and sisters, we're no longer in the rat race trying to get ahead of each other. Rather, if we're in competition at all, 
it's a competition to serve each other, to serve each other in love. And it isn't, and the aim isn't to be the best. The aim is to help the other person be the best that they can be. Now, when athletes train, I'm not an athlete, so I'm not speaking from experience, but I've seen it happen. Uh, <laughs> when athletes train, they train together because it's easier to work harder when you have someone running with you. They can push you to set the pace a little faster or the bar a little higher than if you were training alone. It's the same with studying, right? It's one thing to be someone who reads a lot. It's something else to be part of a class, to be part of an academic community where other scholars provoke you to think harder about things. It's a kind of synergy where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's what Hebrews is calling us to. Of course, you can't really spur people on when you never see them, right? So we're encouraged to meet together. Now, apparently some of the people that Hebrews was addressed to had decided they could get by without other believers. We don't know why. There are all kinds of reasons that people stop meeting together. Um, perhaps they thought themselves to be sufficient without fellowship. There are some kinds of Christian spirituality that put all the emphasis on me and Jesus to the point where they don't feel that they need other believers. That's not biblical. Even the desert monks of the fourth century who spent most of their days in silent, solitary contemplation saw the need for a community. They built their cells in the same general area and they formed communities. Communities of hermits, but still communities. <laughs> Maybe they had a falling out with somebody else in the church and decided to just leave. They hadn't heard what Paul had said about, you know, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Last night, there was a variety of nations, a variety of languages, and I'm sure a variety of theologies represented. But we gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus. He is the center and the focus of our fellowship. Whatever the reason was that the Hebrews, some of the Hebrews were not meeting together. They had decided they, they could still be Christians and not be part of a community. It doesn't work that way. The church is a worshiping community. However it happens, you can't stir people up or be stirred up if you're not around them, rubbing shoulders with them, talking to them. There's an old illustration about the stick in a fire. You take, it may be burning fine in the fire, but you take it out and lay it to one side and very soon it goes out. In fact, you know, if you ever go camping and you, you, know, you, you have a fire and you want to kill the fire before you leave the campground, first thing you do is you sp spread out all the, the wood, right? So they're all individual and very quickly they go out. It's the same with us. We need each other to maintain the warmth of our faith. Be careful of the temptation to stay away from other Christians. Hebrews says that we need each other if we're going to survive and grow as believers. And so finally, we come to the word encourage. Now, the basic meaning of that is to come alongside. It, the word used here is a verb form of the same one that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John 16, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help and to lead us in the way that God would have us walk. 
Now, the word encourage is a big word. Whole range of meanings, right? Exhort, comfort, plead, beg, strengthen, instruct. A whole range of meanings, but with the focus on helping people do better and be better. Although we often think of encouragement in terms of assuring people that they're all right or that they can accomplish a task, it's actually a much bigger than words word than that. It's more than just saying, yeah, you can do it, go for it, which is often what we think of, right? It's about helping people apply all the stuff we've been talking about to their own lives. Christian encouragement is about coming alongside each other and spurring each other on in our walk with God. It's about reminding each other of all the truths that we just talked about in the beginning of this passage, right? At its core, it's about pointing people to Jesus and encouraging them to take full advantage advantage of the benefits of life in Christ. Best context for that to happen is in small groups, where we can let ourselves be known for who we are and allow others to minister to us. That may mean exhorting someone to do what they know is right. It may mean comforting another who has suffered a loss. It can mean praying for people or for issues. It can mean literally coming alongside someone and helping them, perhaps in a difficult time or with a difficult task. And it can mean teaching one another as we gather together around God's word. This is something that happens every Wednesday evening downstairs in the cafe. A group of us gather together around the Bible. We study together. We pray together. And we encourage one another in following Jesus. It's not rocket science. It's very straightforward. And we were talking about this at the pastoral team meeting this week, and we realized that not everyone is able to meet on a Wednesday evening. So if you would like to meet with a small group of people to study scripture together, the study questions are online. That's a resource that's available to you. You don't, you know, you don't have to, if you can't make it on Wednesday, you can get a bunch of people uh, together. Uh, there's, a, there's a link in the weekly, there's a link in the community life. Gather a few people, read scripture together, encourage one another. Something else we talked about on Tuesday was actually, it doesn't really even have to be based around scripture reading. Just getting together with other believers is an opportunity to encourage one another. You can do just, you can get together to do something you enjoy Um, hiking, bowling. Eating ice cream, I'm up for that one. If anybody wants to start, I, I need to. <laughs> I see lots of hands. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, simply being with other believers is the first step in encouraging one another. Okay? And in the midst of that, remember this, that this passage started off by saying, therefore, since. We need to keep coming back to the basis of our encouragement, our hope. It's in Jesus and his death and resurrection that we have hope. If we try and drum up hopefulness ourselves, we may succeed for a while, but in the end, we'll we'll fail. What we can do is think about, consider the best ways in which we can be an encouragement to those around us. As we're faithful to do that, God will open up the opportunities for ministry and he'll use them to to strengthen and to build his church. Let's pray, shall we?
Lord Jesus, we do thank you for last night's worship event. Lord, we thank you for just the, the wonderful spirit that was there. Lord, we thank you for all the different communities that were represented there, that we could gather around you and the worship of you. Praise you for that, Lord. Lord, we thank you for those who served the larger community in doing that, for those who set up the, the space and the sound and the refreshments. And particularly, Lord, we thank you for, for Samuel and his obedience to the, to the vision that you put in his heart. Lord Jesus, help us to take whatever opportunities we can to meet together and to encourage one another. I know I came out of last night really encouraged. Lord Jesus, whether it's a big event like that or whether it's sitting down with cough for coffee with one or two people, Lord, help us to have our eyes open to the opportunities we have to encourage one another. And Lord, we pray for your encouragement, your coming alongside, your bearing burdens for Joel and Maria. Lord, yeah, continue to remember them, Lord, that you would also bring the appropriate people alongside them to serve them, to bear them up, to help them bear their burdens and encourage them. Lord, there's so much stuff on the large scale in the world. Lord, think about the uh, hurricane season in the Caribbean, um, the, the devastation, well, in, in eastern Canada, which never gets hurricanes, and the damage, and, and the Canadian Maritimes, and the deaths there. And then Ian coming through Cuba, and Puerto Rico, and Florida, and South Carolina, and states. Um, many dead. And homes destroyed and years worth of rebuilding needed, Lord. We pray for your comfort and encouragement for those who have lost loved ones or lost homes. And we pray for those, Lord, who are seeking to meet those needs as um, there's a relief effort underway there. Lord, we pray for, we continue to pray for the um, war to the north of us in Ukraine. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would restrain the hands of those who are now calling for tactical nuclear weapons to be deployed. Lord, we, we pray for a just and peaceful end to this war. Um, from here, Lord, it's hard to imagine how that would happen. But it's not our job to come with that, come up with that solution, Lord. It's our job to lift it to you. And we do that, Lord, asking that you would work in the hearts of men who make decisions, Lord, that we'd see an end to this war. Lord, we pray for the country of Burkina Faso who have just had their second coup in eight months. Um, Lord, 
just the instability and the sense of um, yeah, lack of control. Uh, and uh, Lord, we pray for those who are uh, suffering in the midst of that kind of instability. Instability in Afghanistan too, Lord, just bombing of a educational center in Kabul. Many of the students um, taking a practice exam in Dashtibarchi. Lord, we pray for the Hazara community in Afghanistan. Lord, we thank you for um, the response to the gospel amongst the Hazaras. Lord, the, the bulk of the church in Afghanistan are Hazara. Um, Lord, that truly the gospel is good news to the poor and the marginalized. Recognize, Lord, that Dusty Parchi has been bombed so many times. Um, Lord, pray for those who have lost loved ones. Pray for Iran. Um, as the death toll continues to, to, to rise in the protests there, Lord. Lord Jesus, that nation has suffered so much. Lord, we have so many people in our midst here in Antalya who have fled, particularly believers. Lord, we pray for a change there. Lord, we pray that this might be the beginning of something new for this land. Lord, that these deaths might not have been in vain. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for, yeah, I just pray for mercy upon the Persian-speaking people of the world, Lord. In Iran, Afghanistan, Lord, thank you for your, the work that you're doing amongst Persian-speaking people worldwide. Uh, but Lord, in their homelands, things are really hard. We pray for them, Lord. Lord, you said, I have told you these things so that me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Lord, we encourage yourself with these words. In your name, amen. Thank you, Robin, for your message. And I hope you've been encouraged to come with confidence this morning to this table of the Lord that is set before us as we celebrate together.